I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. You know, when we talk about our faith, a lot of times the secular world will say about or to Catholics that we're unreasonable, that what we believe is absurd or false. This scientism narrative can take over Catholics, Christians, believers in general of whatever religion are considered to be hokey or childish, perhaps even dumb and ignorant. There's a whole faction of people who write off people of faith because they make a wrong and ignorant assumption that we believe in God or we believe in miracles or we believe in unexplained faith-filled things simply because we're scared of real explanations or perhaps even worse because we're not smart enough to understand science or reasonable explanations from that other side of the proverbial aisle. And what's frustrating about this is that as Catholics, we know, or at least we should know, that our belief does not prevent us from both leaning into the reality of scientific things, even advocating for the phrase that's floating around these days, following the science or supporting the pursuit of scientific explanations. In fact, the Catholic Church, and we've said this many, many times before, and we'll continue to say it throughout this entire new series, the Church is a proponent of science, a supporter of science. There are countless men and women of faith who have worked in the sciences, ecology and the environment, conversations around bioethics, conversations surrounding creation, conversations around current medical practices, you name it, Catholics have been there in those conversations, in those rooms. And that's what we're digging into and exploring in this new Ave Explorers Faith and Science series. What's the connection? What's the bridge point? How do faith and science work together, enhance one another? Where are the points of departure? Of course, we need to talk about that as well. But most importantly, why can a person of faith also be a person who respects, follows, agrees with, listens to, understands, and supports and advocates for the science? whatever that science is and whatever that science leads us to. They're not incompatible. And that's what we're digging into in this series. I mean, it really is a conversation around how faith and reason work together. The ways that the church supports it, the ways that we as faithful men and women can dig into it. I mean, that's what we do with any Ave Explorer series, digging into, okay, well, what's true? What's real? How does this affect my life? How does this affect my faith day by day? And to kick off that conversation, we're bringing on Brandon Vaught. Brandon Vaught, an incredible Mind, the content director of Word on Fire, a former engineer, an author who's written a few number of wonderful books, but the one we're talking about today is what to say and how to say it, really digging into conversations that sometimes are hard to have, especially when it comes to the big debate, the big discussion of faith and science. Brandon really takes us through in this conversation, you know, what is the big argument that folks will throw in our faces that science and faith aren't compatible? And not only how can we combat that, but maybe even more importantly, why? Why it's important to combat that? Why it's important to have the conversations that debunk those myths? I mean, Brandon's really good at this, and I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. And in fact, we'll enjoy the entire Ave Explorer series. You can find everything that we're creating over at AveMariaPress.com. You can just click up at the top, sign up for our weekly emails. You'll get the Facebook Live conversations, the articles, the podcast videos, anything that you're looking for on this topic. We're digging into it and we can't wait for you to join us. You can also, of course, sign up for the giveaway that we have over on our Facebook page, Ave Maria Press. We're so excited for you to join us as we dig into this faith and science series for Ave Explorers. But for now, we want you to sit back and enjoy this conversation with Brandon Vaught about what to say and how to say it when it comes to matters of faith and science. 
Brandon, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Ave Explorers. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to be here with you, Katie. Yeah. So you're in Florida. You're coming to us from your home office. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what you do. If I bumped into you in an elevator, who would I be meeting? Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father to seven little kids. We live here right outside of Orlando, Florida on a small farm, which we call Burrowshire. So it takes its name <laughs> from our two favorite fictional places, the Burrow, which is where the Weasleys live in the Harry Potter series, and then the Shire, where the Hobbits live in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. So we got goats and chickens and ducks and a garden <laughs> and bees and all sorts of animals. Um, so we live here in our little homestead. My day job is with Ward on Fire, which is Bishop Robert Barron's ministry. Uh, I've worked with him for close to a decade now. I'm the senior content director, which is kind of a nebulous title, meaning that <laughs> I'm in charge of all the content Ward on Fire produces. So books and websites and social media, anything like that kind of goes through my desk in some way. And then on the side, I write books. I'm the author of 10 books. And I also run a bunch of websites, including strangenotions.com, which I know we'll talk about here in a little bit, churchfathers.org. I have my own blog and website, brandonvot.com. And then I co-host a couple of podcasts. Um, so one is the Word on Fire show, which I'm the host of with Bishop Barron. And then I co-host a podcast called the Burrowshire Podcast with my best friend, Father Blake Britton, who... Uh, He's actually about to release a, a book with Ave Maria Press here in the fall on Vatican II. So we got a lot of Ave Maria connections here yeah. going on in our lives. So that's the elevator pitch of who I am. Was this like always your plan? Like when you went to college, I want to work in Catholic content creation and kind of be this hub for learning about the faith. Tell me that story. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wish I could just say yes. You know, when I was three <laughs> years old, before social media was around, I envisioned that this is what I would be doing. No. Of course not. I started college studying physics. That was my initial major. And then I switched to mechanical engineering. And then I graduated and worked for five years in an engineering office as a mechanical engineer and just doing Catholic evangelization stuff on the side. I took the big leap into the world of ministry, which I know you have and, and your family <laughs> has as well about a decade ago. You know, everybody, of course, says this in their own lives, but God just constantly surprises us with the twists and turns that he takes in our lives. I never in a million years thought that this is where I'd end up, but I'm happy I have. So you studied physics, a class that I hated in high school, I'm happy to admit, <laughs> but then shifted to engineering. Did you ever find your work in the secular world as an engineer to contradict your faith as a daily Catholic husband and father, or did you find there to be a nice intersection between the two? For me, they intersected, but I would add the caveat that I was pretty well-versed in theology and in science. So I, I understood mm -hmm. both fields really well. And so for me, the whole conflict thesis was never a real problem. I noticed mm -hmm. that among my colleagues who are engineers and scientists, and then among my religious friends who would go to church with me, usually in those two groups, the people only really understood well one side of the equation. They either understood mm -hmm. science really well and didn't really understand religion or theology, or they were fervent Christians, but they knew next to nothing about science. In that case, it was really easy for this conflict myth to arise in their minds. But for me, you know, straddling both worlds, never a problem. You know, I, mm -hmm. I intuited from the beginning of my studies what John Paul II said, that faith and reason are like two wings by which we ascend to the contemplation of truth, that these two things are in harmony, they're flapping together, they're not at odds. So it was never a problem personally. But again, I, I saw the conflict everywhere else among my colleagues and among my friends. So you said 
kind of my first big question. You knew there was a conflict. A lot of people, and you referenced the stats in your new book, What to Say and How to Say It. A lot of Catholics think that there's this assumption that religious people are dumb because we don't believe in the science or that scientific people are closed-minded because they don't believe in faith. That's kind of a false conflict. I mean, it, it exists in a lot of people, but it's because they don't know the truth. Give us kind of the 10,000-foot overview of what is that perceived conflict between faith and science. And of course, we'll tell our listeners, you have to go get the book because you go into great detail about it. But give me kind of the audio version real quick. Sure. I'd say it's not just kind of a false dilemma or false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. It is a false dilemma or false dichotomy. Um, this is a tired old myth. It began around the time of the Enlightenment, so around the 18th century. A lot of thinkers of that time were trying to escape what they perceived to be the shackles of religious and dogmatic ways of thinking, get away from tradition, away from religion. Instead, we should just follow the dictates of reason. It was, you know, mm -hmm. the Enlightenment, also known as the age of reason. And so they had a vested interest in pitting religion against that whole project that mm -hmm. you either have to choose between reason or faith. You have to choose between religion or science. So that was sort of the seed of the mythical conflict that we're still experiencing today. It developed over the years, and I point out in my book a couple of major reasons why I think it's become more forceful today. So one of them is the battles over evolution and the retelling of the story of Galileo. To me, those are the, mm -hmm. the two biggest causes of this perceived conflict between religion and science. Um, we can go into more detail into each of those, but essentially the origin myth of this conflict is that the big bad church was bullying, you know, this kind, innocent scientist, Galileo Galilei, who discovered this new theory about how the planets orbited the sun and not the other way around. And he was just trying to do science and made some great discoveries. But then the church was so upset with this new progressive thinker that it, you know, jailed him and tortured him and killed him for, for the science he was performing. Of course, basically all of that is a lie. Um, at mm -hmm. best, it's an exaggeration. But that story, again, I, I think it's sort of the founding myth of this faith science conflict and then evolution. So we all know in America, especially, there was a lot of debate in the last century, primarily between fundamentalist Protestants and purveyors of scientific curriculum in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. Many people saw these at odds. You either have to choose between evolution or God, evolution or Christianity. But again, that's another false dilemma. That might be the case for people who read the Bible exclusively literalistically, but it's not a problem for Catholics. There's mm -hmm. uh, We see perfect compatibility between some theories of evolution and Catholicism, and a little bit of distinction and nuance needs to be made there. But then finally, I think the biggest contributing factor is in the early 2000s, we saw the rise of the new atheism. So this would include mm -hmm. people and figureheads like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and the late Stephen Hawking. A lot of men, I guess Hitchens excluded, but a lot of other men who were very successful and well-known in the scientific arena. So these were men like Dawkins, for example, who had written groundbreaking books on mm -hmm. evolution and biology. Stephen Hawking, one of the greatest cosmologists of our era. Many of these scientific experts also happened to be staunch atheists. And for a lot of people, those two mm -hmm. worlds collided. And a lot of people thought, hey, the smartest people in our culture, these great scientists, tell us science has disproven God or science has made belief in God obsolete. Mm -hmm. And so because they're so smart, they must know what they're talking about. And so we're just going to follow them lockstep. I've seen a lot of my young friends, particularly in the millennial generation, 
who followed that path, who read a book mm-hmm. by Dawkins or a book by Hitchens or a book by Hawking, and they come out the other side thinking faith and science are at odds. Science is clearly correct. Therefore, I have to discard faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's probably a good five-minute summary of this conflict mm-hmm. and how it's developed. But it's one that we've got to burst today, this myth. We've got to prevent our young people from falling into its trap. It's my mm-hmm. hope, and it's part of the reason why I wrote the chapter in this book, that no child should graduate from any of our Catholic high schools thinking that faith and science are at odds. Mm-hmm. If they leave with that belief, we failed them in a major way. Mm-hmm. That is the perfect kind of jumping off point. So we know that it's a false dichotomy. We can very clearly articulate, especially if you read your book, you give the talking points on how to refute this. I had a student my first year teaching. He walked in, I think it was with Christopher Hitchens' book, sat in the front row, opened it up in the middle of theology class. You know, it was the classic high school kid who had something to say, but didn't quite know how to say it and was just trying to grate on my nerves. I'm happy to admit I did not handle the situation well. As a first-year teacher, wish I had this book to just be able to hand him and say, okay, well, if you're going to read that, then you need to read this. You hit on something in that. These two stories have developed of you can't believe in evolution if you're Catholic, or you know, we as a church persecuted Galileo. Those two stories need to be told correctly, or those arguments need to be pivoted in some sense. We need to know how to articulate it well. Tell me the correct story about Galileo. Like, What did happen to this guy? Because I, I think I know the story. At least I know the false version of the story. What really happened there? Yeah. Again, there's a lot of, of nuance that needs to be mm-hmm. added when telling this story. I think I would describe it as Father Coyne, who used to lead the Vatican Observatory, did. He said it's a tragic story. And I think that's right. Mm-hmm. John Paul II famously issued an apology on behalf of the church for the way that the Galileo affair played out. But in that apology, he acknowledged that there were mistakes and imprudent decisions made by all people involved. So the Pope at the time, church leaders, uh, Galileo himself. So it's not a one-sided story. I think that's the most important point. It's Mm -hmm. not that you just have this big, bad, bullying church beating down on this progressive scientist. So here's what really happened. Galileo Galilei was an astronomer who made what he thought was an innovative discovery that Again, the planets revolved around the sun. This is a theory mm-hmm. known as heliocentrism, and it overtook the consensus theory for hundreds and hundreds of years, and which at Galileo's time was still the consensus scientific theory of geocentrism, which said that everything revolved around the earth, that the earth was mm-hmm. the center of the universe. So Galileo proposed this new theory. One of the major problems was that he didn't have any evidence to confirm that theory. At that point, it was just an abstraction. It was just a theory. He still needed to run experiments to prove that it was true. So a lot of church leaders, including those who were very scientifically astute, cautioned him to slow down, to not put forward his theory as a fact, because doing so would Mm -hmm. be rash and imprudent. But Galileo was fairly obnoxious and rash person. And press forward anyway. It wasn't just church people that were upset about the way he was pushing his new theory. It was also scientific people because, again, he's overturning the scientific consensus. That's point number one. Point number two, the church was never against Galileo's science. In fact, Galileo was not the first scientist to propose heliocentrism. That would have been Copernicus, who 80 years before Galileo produced a book proposing the heliocentric theory. And in fact, Copernicus dedicated that book to the Pope and was very in good harmony with church leaders. So you kind of have these two different approaches. Copernicus was a very balanced, slow to put forward this new theory, did so in conversation with other scientists and churchmen, whereas Galileo was very obstinate and rash and was pushing forward this theory 
that would change the consensus in a lot of ways. So that's point number two, is that the church was never against the science. It supported Copernicus and it supported the true scientific facts that Galileo could prove. The third point to make is that Galileo, beyond just pushing his science, also was counseling that his new discovery should cause us to rethink how we interpret all of scripture, particularly the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Now, the church had a long tradition of reading Genesis figuratively, non-literalistically. So this wasn't new to the church, but there was something a bit audacious about this scientist telling cardinals and even the Pope that I'm going to tell you how to reinterpret the Bible. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's easy to see how that could cause a lot of church leaders Mm -hmm. to step back and have pause and reticence. Finally, the biggest dagger was Galileo then wrote another book in which he was putting this theory forward in a new way, basically through a fictional dialogue. So instead of a scientific treatise, it was like a play, a dialogue. And there was a character in that play named Simplicio, which means simpleton or dummy. And that character clearly represented the Pope at the time. He would use Mm. the Pope's own words in that character's speech. So he's writing a book, basically making fun of the Pope, or, you know, poking him in the eye, kind of and again, you can imagine how this went over <laughs> at the Vatican mm-hmm. with the Pope and the other cardinals. So he was a very imprudent and rash thinker. Again, he put forward his theory before it was proven. And in fact, today we know mm-hmm. that his theory was actually incorrect in many ways. He proposed, for example, that the planets were evolved in a circular orbit around the sun, but we know now it was more of an elliptical orbit. So his original mm-hmm. theory did, in fact, need to be tweaked and updated So as a result of that, the church accused Galileo of heresy. They put him on trial, accused him, and found him guilty of heresy. Now, not because of a scientific theory. Church had no problem with the science. It was with this impulse that he was claiming we need to reinterpret the Bible according to his Mm. way. He was proposing heretical interpretations of the Bible. So -hmm. he was found guilty of heresy, and as a result, he was sentenced to house arrest. Now, it's important. Not prison, not torture, not (laughs) some harsh punishment. He was given a multi-suite residence with a full-time servant who waited on him the mm. rest of his life. So he lived out his the rest of his days in comfort, somewhat isolated, you know, house arrest. But this wasn't the picture of this scientist in a dark corner of a dungeon under a castle in chains being whipped, you know, because of his mm. scientific beliefs. So I think all that adds a lot of color to the story. Again, yeah. I stand with John Paul who says, look, did the church overreact? Probably. I think there were tensions were high, emotions were running, you had egos and personalities involved. The church probably could have been a bit more delicate in the way they treated mm-hmm. Galileo. But on the other hand, Galileo was himself partly to blame, you know, for his rashness, for his imprudence, for making fun of the Pope, for putting forward these theories that weren't proven. So I think as you can see, the story is a lot more nuanced mm-hmm. than the common version we all tell about, you know, big bad church bullying right. poor little Galileo. I mean, you make it super clear to understand. If I hear that story, then I know that there was this massive retelling to paint the church in this awful light. Why do you think it's important to make sure we know how to tell those stories? I mean, it's I can hear that and immediately know, well, I've been taught the wrong thing. Even maybe in my own Catholic high school, I need to go back and look at my old notes from years and years ago. I mean, you're on the front lines of evangelization with your work, both on the side and with Word on Fire, all of your books, your websites. Why is it important to make sure we're clear and articulating this? I mean, what's at stake here? I think what's at stake is a lot of young people who are fleeing religion, leaving the church, and staying away because they just take these mythical stories for granted. And if we don't Mm -hmm. correct these misperceptions, if we don't reframe the conversation around faith and science, 
they're not coming back. I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that for a lot of them, they have completely embraced the false dichotomy of either faith or science. And choosing science is unquestionable. And I don't blame them for that. Science is great. I love science. I choose science. I herald science. But the problem is they assume if I do that, I have to give up faith. And if Mm. you ask them why, in my experience, 90% of the time, the answer will always come back to either evolution or this Galileo story. Those are almost always the two big pebbles in the shoe. And so if we don't know how to talk about that, if we don't know how to simply reframe the narrative for them, they're just going to be stuck in that false dichotomy. They're going to be stuck on the side of science, which means they're going to be fleeing faith. Mm -hmm. Reframing the narrative, I think, is the key here. We have to tell the true story. We have to make sure people give us time to tell that true story, to build those relationships so they're willing to sit with us and listen. Strange Notions, this website that you created years and years ago, was that your first pursuit? That's the one I remember in meeting you kind of through and seeing all this work. Tell us about Strange Notions and the goal that this forum is trying to accomplish. Sure. I created Strange Notions back in 2013. So at the time, I was just this upstart 20-year-old newly Catholic convert. So I actually converted to Catholicism when I was in college. I forgot Mm -hmm. to mention that at the intro. (laughs) I'd only been Catholic for a handful of years. But as a young person, I was really involved online. I had built websites. I was involved with social media. I had a pretty popular blog. So I knew the power of a lot of social media tools. But what I especially detected early on was that the internet had become this great meeting place between Catholics and non-believers, especially atheists, that nowhere in the offline world would these two groups meet in significant numbers. You know, mm-hmm. each of us might have a couple atheist friends that we might meet one-on-one, but where is there a group of like 50 atheists and 50 Catholics coming together to have serious conversation? It just, there was no crossover in the offline world. But I realized the online world would allow that, you know, that mm-hmm. all these people can come together. They don't have to meet at a particular place or particular time through the comment boxes. The cloak of anonymity means, you know, good hearted atheists could have conversations with believers without fear of repercussion or mm-hmm. fear of people knowing that they're an atheist or doubting God. So with all that swirling in my mind, I came up with this idea, strangenotions.com. Uh, it takes its name from the 17th chapter of Acts. So the famous chapter where Paul goes to the Areopagus or Mars Hill in Athens, Greece. And I love every part of this story. The book of Acts describes Paul arriving in Athens. First, he goes to the synagogues to evangelize the Jews. So he begins by proclaiming the story of Israel and telling how it's fulfilled in Christ. But then it says he's invited to go to this hill, Mars Hill, where a lot of philosophers in Athens would sit around discussing new things. And I always love that phrase because to me, it reminds me Mm -hmm. of the internet. Like, what's Mm -hmm. the internet if not a bunch of people sitting around discussing new things? What's going on? What's new? You know, common updates, tweets, all that stuff. So he goes up there and they hear about this new message, this new God that he's proclaiming. And they ask him to tell us about him. Interestingly, what Paul does is he begins first by noting their own religiosity. He says, I notice you have you know, a lot of these statues and shrines to these various guys. I can tell you're a very religious people. And then his next move is to quote from their own poets. You know, In him, we live and we move and we have our being. That's from an ancient Greek poet. He's looking for these little seeds, these little bridges of connection between what he's about to propose and these Greek philosophers. And then he launches into his evangelistic message. He says, you know, you guys are worshiping this unknown God. You have a tomb here, a shrine to an unknown God. Well, 
I'm here to tell you who that God is. And then he explains how God has revealed himself in Christ, that Christ has risen from the dead. He didn't have much success. Uh, we read that <laughs> that most of them doubted him. In fact, this is where the website gets its name. It says, you bring some strange notions to our ears, but it says, we wonder if you can come back tomorrow and tell us more. So mm. he didn't really make any converts the first go around, but they ask him to come back because what he says is intriguing enough. He comes back and then he makes just a few converts um, mentioned by name in the book of Acts. I can't remember their names, but these are the first converts basically of European Christianity. They become the seeds of the greatest religious movement in the history of the world. So it's a fascinating story. And what it got me to think was that here's the first great meeting of serious-minded Christian theologians, Paul, and atheists, Greek philosophers, mm -hmm. the pagan giants of the ancient world. I wanted to replicate that online. So we created this website, strangenotions.com, with the idea of bringing charitable, serious-minded atheists and Catholics into dialogue about the big questions of life. So things mm -hmm. like God, religion, morality, science, culture, art, books. Um, we have multiple contributors. So I think we started off with 20 or 30 contributors. Now it's like 50 or 60 contributors. Mm -hmm. And we started with a new article every day. So every weekday. So there's five articles a week. We've slowed down a lot since then. I think <laughs> now we're basically one every couple of weeks or so, but we've, mm -hmm. I think, posted over a thousand articles, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of comments. Our articles typically, on average, get over a hundred comments per article. Mm -hmm. And these are, it's rich discussion between very mm -hmm. smart and intrigued atheists and skeptics asking questions that they would never ask in a classroom or at a parish. Mm -hmm. We've had some atheist interlocutors come to belief in God as a result of the site. Mm. As you've said, these resources have been shared all over the place with other Christians and Catholics who haven't known how to talk about these types of pressing issues. So I'm very proud of it. I think mm -hmm. it's become the most significant outreach to atheists in the history of the church. Mm -hmm. And it was only possible through the digital world. I think the advent of the internet is what makes something like this feasible. Mm -hmm. From that, you've created so many more opportunities to continue to share, to clarify how to have these conversations. Here at the end, kind of give us a little bit of the dream of the what to say and how to say it books, which not only take this faith and science discussion, but tons of different, just basic apologetic questions that are actually much more complex than we realize. I mean, I have a theology degree, I was a teacher, and I've still learned a lot from these books on how to clarify things, especially to young people. Tell us a little bit about the hope of those books. The hope of those books is to help Catholics to get clear and confident about the difficult and most thorniest issues that arise in conversation. So the books center around those topics that most Catholics are terrified to discuss. So things mm -hmm. like same-sex marriage, homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism, faith and science, what we just talked about here. These topics that when they come up, most of us just think, oh, I, I hope the conversation just goes in a different direction because I have mm -hmm. no idea what to say. I'm going to get nervous or tongue-tied or just blabber on in a random way. So the books were aimed to give people very clear talking points on how to navigate these conversations. It's not just mm -hmm. about what to believe. you know. As the title says, it's what to say and how to say it. It's very focused on dialogical skills. So here's the slogan, or here's the talking point you should use. And if the other person says this, you should say this in reply. If they say mm -hmm. this, then you should take the conversation in that direction. So I'm kind of trying to map out dialogues and help Catholics to feel more confident about that. What I found is that the more confident Catholics feel about talking about these things with 
family members, friends, coworkers, the stronger their faith is. And the mm-hmm. opposite's true as well. If say a topic like contraception comes up in conversation and you realize you don't know what to say or you don't know how to respond to that objection, later in the day, you're going to look back on that and either directly or indirectly realize my faith isn't as strong as I thought. Maybe it's got mm-hmm. weaknesses. Maybe it's got these unanswerable devastating vulnerabilities. And if that's the case, you know, my confidence in my faith just went down a notch. And so Mm -hmm. I want to prevent that. I want to give, I want to raise the confidence level people have in their faith by convincing them, no, no, Catholics have thought about all of these thorny topics Mm -hmm. in such depth and breadth. They've considered all the top objections. These are all old hat to us. You know, we, we've we heard these, we know them, we take them seriously, and we know how to respond to them. So mm-hmm. that's the overall arching vision of these books is I want to help all Catholics to feel clear and confident discussing these topics. It has a summa vibe to me. I very much enjoyed flipping through and kind of reading those dialogues back and forth. And my favorite part is that here's where you can go deeper because it certainly will spark folks to, okay, well, what else can I read about this topic? You give a great launch pad into wanting to learn more. Where can we find out more about your work, Brandon? What's the best place to follow you to learn more from you? Best place is probably my website, brandonvot.com. My last name is V-O-G-T, so brandonvot.com. And then I also run a online training platform called Claritas U. So Claritas is the Latin word for clarity, Claritas Mm -hmm. U University. And it's a place where we have thousands of Catholics who go through Uh, video courses on many of these topics that goes kind of more in depth than the book does on some of them. And so if listeners are interested in that, they can find it at claritasu.com. Awesome. We'll have all that down in the show notes. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Katie. I appreciate it. You know, I think one of the things that Brandon really shows us is that it's critically important to have the conversations to know how to respond to criticisms, to know how to respond to folks who just write off people of faith, to hopefully maybe even invite them into some of the wonder and awe that our faith gives us the chance to dive into, gives us the chance to even maybe appreciate science and the things that we discover through science more. Brandon's book, What to Say and How to Say It, both volumes are an excellent resource and and really I think will be an anchor for folks in having these conversations, especially these conversations surrounding things that you know, it's on our mind. We know it's there, but we really need to figure out a better way to articulate, figure out different ways that we can dig into those conversations. That's what we're doing with this whole Ave Explorer series on faith and science. We want to dig in. We want to dive in, the deep dive, the conversations that we're having with our guests on the podcast with scientists, with people of faith who are scientists to really show us, okay, what's the bioethics? What do we think about the Big Bang Theory? Why can Catholics really dig into the ethics behind vaccines? What should we do when it comes to caring for our common home? All of these conversations and more will be happening on this season. So we hope that you subscribe to the podcast, that you sign up for the series, maybe even give us a rating and a review and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so that you can see everything that we are creating just for you. We're so excited to have you with us for this series. We hope that you stick around. We hope that you share it with other folks. Lots more content is coming. You can find all of it over at AveMariaPress.com. Click on the top on the Faith and Science Ave Explores series, and you'll be joining us for the entire series, hopefully. We'll see you soon with more great content for Ave Explores Faith and Science. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.